Hello and welcome to another episode of Batshio Death Trip. This week we are talking about Tenacious D's self-titled album. Yep, that's me, the host of the soon-to-be award-winning podcast Batshio Death Trip. And you might be wondering, how did I get myself into this situation? Well, let me take you right back to the start. I was born in Bendigo, a regional town in Australia. And when I was 10 years old, we had a substitute teacher who came in and said she'd stayed up too late watching the tennis the night before and she couldn't be bothered teaching us, so we were going to watch Major Pain. My name is Major Benson Winifred Payne. Know this, killing is my business, ladies, and business is good. I instantly fucking hated that movie and I said, hey, do we have to watch this? Can't we watch something else? And she snapped back, everyone else is enjoying it, why can't you? And sadly, that sentiment echoed through my entire schooling. Everyone at school promised me that Eddie Murphy's roar was amazing, so I put it on. Y'all always dick threats, y'all don't realize how sensitive nuts are, do you? Because men don't even like to hear a threat like that. You hear somebody, I kick you in the nuts and make you wince. Be like, ooh, change the subject, please. And I didn't enjoy it. And then everyone said, give Zoolander a chance. It's so, so, so fucking funny. And they kept doing this stupid face. So I put it on. How can we be expected to teach children to learn how to read if they can't even fit inside the building? And it did not spark joy. They said, no worries, Reese. Not everything is for everyone. Why don't you give Anchorman a go? So I went to the video store and I hired it. Well, that's going to do it for all of us here at Channel 4 News. You stay classy, San Diego. I'm Ron Burgundy. And I was not into that movie either. I was lost. And then someone said, why don't you try Adam Sandler's The Waterboy? Billy Madison was amazing. Happy Gilmore was really great. Give it a go. Adam Sandler wouldn't let you down. So I went to the video store and I hired it, went home, Put it on. What you doing, Bobby? Oh, Lord, that, that, that's some heavy-duty heavy, heavy duty armpit saturation. That's an early warning sign of the dehydration. You got to have H2O, please. Look, you need to but stop worrying me. about water, baby. And I absolutely fucking hated it. Why does Adam Sandler feel the need to put on a stupid voice in all of his comedies? And I thought, well, maybe movies aren't for you, Reese. I mean, yes, I was absolutely loving Don't Be a Menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood and I would rent that out every single week. But maybe I need to try some stand-up comedy. And my friend Jason told me that Rodney Roode was the fucking best. So I got myself some Rodney Roode. You're laughing too much, mate. Just watch it, mate. I saw you down the Esplanade today, mate, sucking the farts out of dead seagulls. Just watch it, mate. Just bloody watch it. <laughs> Everything that seemed really popular at school just wasn't hitting the spot. I liked a lot of comedy. I liked The Twelfth Man. I loved Milo Kerrigan on Full Frontal. I liked The Late Show. Like, what was it? So in a last-ditch attempt at understanding what everyone was talking about, I scraped the bottom of the barrel and turned to Blink-182 and listened to a song that everyone was raving about. Oh my god, that song fucking sucked then and it sucks now. And if anyone tells you that Travis Barker is a great drummer at a backyard barbecue, you are legally allowed to punch them in the face, allegedly. 
So when there was a bunch of buzz around this band called Tenacious D and everyone was saying Zanzibar all the time and telling me to fuck her gently, I thought I have been burnt too many times and I never listened to the album until now. So, Benji, given everything I've just laid out for you, do you think I enjoyed this album or not? Uh, I think you do. I think because you understand that there are nuances at play within this album. And I would hope, I would sincerely hope that you and your research went back and checked out the HBO limited edition series uh, Tenacious D, which a lot of these songs have come from and a lot of the the shtick, a lot of the uh, little kind of skits in between allude to things that they did during that TV show. I think he liked it, Reese. I think he liked it because there's a bit more going on than Blink-182. I think he liked it because of how well the music was put together. You know, they had Dave Grohl behind them. They had the keyboardist from Fish behind them. And it, it is funny, you know, there are some parts like when they do a bit about cock push-ups, it's a little bit kind of like that frat boy humour, but the actual kind of lyrics in their songs are actually quite amusing as well. No other band in the world has ever written a song in tribute to a song that saved them from the devil, which I think is hilarious, you know, I think that the fact of the matter is that their most popular song was a song in tribute to the greatest song that they ever wrote. There's a little bit of meta humor there. I've known to being wrong before. So did you like the album, Reese? Before I get into that, a few things. I would like to say for the record that all of those clips that I played, I think all of the things that I was sort of bullied about and made fun of because I didn't like have not stood up. Zoolander doesn't stand up. Anchorman, when they went back for Zoolander 2 and Anchorman 2, it sucked. No one's gone back to major pain. I really enjoyed Anchorman at the time. You know, I was a university student. And, you know, it was around the time that Arrested Development was coming out as well. So I kind of liked that kind of comedy that was like rapid fire kind of just banter between, well, you know, not like banter in the nasty term, but like riffing off one another and the skill with Anchorman was the fact that you saw Paul Rudd doing a lot of improvised comedy, who was my favorite. Uh, him and Steve Carell in that movie were absolutely brilliant. Um, but going back to it now, uh, it's just kind of, yeah, I, I can understand why I enjoyed it when I was younger. And I can still appreciate it for what it is. But like, the older you get, your kind of tastes change. So I'm not so much into... Anchorman, but then at the same time, I loved Burt Wonderstone with Steve Carell, uh, William H. Macy, and Jim Carrey, and no one fucking liked that, but I thought it was a very sweet movie. I didn't go back to the HBO show, but I did think it's almost like the reverse of Flight of the Concords, who started with as an acoustic duo and then had that radio show on the BBC, I'm pretty sure, yeah. and then had that hit TV show. So, yeah, they did. Yeah, HBO. Amazing TV series. So I do want to go see the Tenacious D TV show. When I first put it on and I heard I fucking hated it. Then 
everything after that was amazing and I loved it and I was just loving researching the band and I still can't believe that I'm just now hearing the song City Hall. It's probably for the best though because I would have based my entire personality around that song but it sums up my humor like it's like a babushka doll of stupidity and insanity and it just is fucking funny and i love that song and it's a great way to finish the album and i i just loved researching tenacious d and listening to their other stuff watching a bunch of live stuff jack black is a, a true inspiration in that he just seems to light up a room and get a bunch of stuff he's the closest thing we have to robin williams still yeah, yeah, he's a character, and you love him. You listen to a Dave Grohl interview, and you're pretty sure that, like, yeah, fuck, man, Dave Grohl's going to take me on holiday. Like, you watch Jack Black when he used to do Jable's Games on YouTube. Jablinski Games! I'm not sure if he still does it. Or Jablinski Games, that's right. Yeah, he doesn't do it very often. No, because he can't do anything, because he's still waiting for the Delgado. <laughs> yeah, it's just that kind of real bouncy energy. The kind of energy that I used to get from Will Smith, but... Mm. But yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, there's a couple of songs on there which would maybe long-time listeners, God forbid, we've got some. Absolute fucking psychos. Yeah, I know, right? How are you guys still in this? <laughs> I have no idea. Like, me and Reese have to take, like, several, like, medications just to get through a morning of this, <laughs> don't we? Or an evening in your case as well. We start each podcast beating our chest like the Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Hey, 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 how many times do you masturbate a day? That's rookie numbers, Reese. But uh, even I like, like, fucker gently is just absolutely ridiculously full of, like, machismo. And it's kind of hard to take it seriously when you, you hear them talking about it. Like, it's this whole kind of juxtaposition of a very sweet, gentle power ballad melody. And just the fucking dirtiest jokes of this side of um, the aristocrats throughout. The musicianship is insane. It had to be, you know. I mean, you got Dave Grohl involved with it, yeah. like we mentioned. The kind of the nods towards Ronnie James Dio are yeah. very evident. And they're very catchy. I mean, like, I still remember when track seven comes on, Explosivo, and it's like, you know... Jump up on my big ass steed. Then we're gonna ride, gonna smoke some weed. Jump up on my big ass. And it's just that jumping, bouncy energy that Jack Black has that kind of rescues the album from, you know, the realms of, oh, it's just a scat album. I placed this album in a similar space as Gogglebox, in a way. I fucking love Gogglebox because... Yeah, It's like a condensed version of all the bullshit my coworkers are talking about that I just don't watch because I am a superior intellect. <laughs> no, just because I'm, I'm just not into it. Fuck off, a superior intellect. <laughs> hey, I'm on Reddit, bro. I read it. He says, like, wearing a fucking red New York... Not even a proper fucking red New York Yankees baseball cap, man. You still got the kind of, like, hook and loops at the back when it should just be flat fabric strip. That was 65 bucks. And then and then wearing a fucking long sleeve, um, <laughs> long sleeve flannel fucking shirt. I don't know if I'm talking to Reese or Paige Hamilton from Helmet Man, so you know. You're talking to the podcast angel. Yeah, I'm your angel. I'm your podcast angel. Speaking as an intellectual, Reese, carry on. <laughs> no, so Gogglebox allows me sort of, oh, just like little snippets so I can sort of continue the conversation around, you know, the cultural zeitgeist that's happening around me without really having to put in the hours. This Absolutely. is like, 
hey, you love that metal s- stuff with like Dio and dragons and swords. I'm like, no, I fucking hate it. But I love that it exists and I want to know more about it. But every time I dip my toe in that water, I fucking hate it. But I love that Jack Black is so into it and he'll just sort of goggle box it to me that I feel like I know the names. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah. I get what you're about. That's what I, I lump this record with. But when you mentioned the genius of Tribute, that was the second song they ever wrote. Yeah. The first song was an earnest, emotional song about Jack Black's ex-girlfriend. And so when he first met Kyle, they were in this like sort of comedy improv group or something, and Kyle was the music guy. But Jack comes in and he's singing. And the cool thing about Jack Black was that he was like a four-track wizard. Like he would just layer his voice over the top of, you know, and make these beautiful harmonies on the four-track. And then Kyle didn't like him at first. was like, no, 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 this guy's going to take my spot. And they eventually got together and Kyle decided to like really push Jack into playing guitar and he swapped guitar lessons for fast food, which is pretty good. And then their second song, they wrote Tribute and realized, hey, this is funnier. But it does show Jack Black in particular, his ability to tell a story. That's that's in the pick of destiny as well. Like every time he's on sort of a talk show he knows where to where a story goes he understands story and narrative and arc and plot and it's fucking city hall shows that uh yeah so what a fucking song for your first official song but those harmonies recorded on four track are pretty evident on the 1995 demo of tribute and the peculiar thing is this It didn't actually sound anything like this song. Is it just a tribute? You gotta believe it. And I wish you were there. Just a matter of opinion. But I, good God. Oh, you absolutely blue balls me and everyone else listening to this. We needed the Jack Black scat. Life sucks sometimes. Sorry, man. You know, life comes at you fast and sometimes life sucks. For those people that are, that are requiring the Jack Black scat, we'll give you a quick one now. I like him because he's like my spirit animal. He's a tubby guy with a ton of charisma. He's, he's, he's a, I think he's a good looking guy in a cuddly way. But then I, I'm a frequent fan of watching The Holiday where he played a, a romantic lead. Which I thought was pretty cool, because you know it's it, it kind of bucked the convention of Hollywood beauty. Not to say that he's an ugly man or anything like that, but he he just knows the game. Like you mentioned, he knows how to patter on late night talk shows, but then he can knows how to patter with kind of like music journalists. So he's one of those examples of someone that reads the room and adapts how he should act. Say like he was doing interviews for King Kong, he'd be a little bit more serious, you know, but then when it goes back to like, say, Rise of the Phoenix era, Tenacious D, then it'll slip from Hollywood into that whole kind of like, yeah, Ronnie James Dio and fuck man, (laughs) we just fucking love being musicians, you know. The only other person I've ever seen pull that off is Courtney Love, God bless her. When Courtney Love was like, having big movie roles like the people versus larry flynn or man on the moon with jim carrey there was that hollywood side of courtney love very glamorous but then when courtney wanted to to go back to like the dirty grungy kind of like music career of uh, you know like with hole and stuff like that 
and she easily slipped into kind of reading the room that way which is me giving Courtney Love a lot of respect and love I have definitely grown as a human being since I used to walk around saying yeah she killed Kurt Cobain that was just last week though listeners I'll let you know he had a t-shirt made it's incredible though that the band went on to do like you mentioned the reverse flight of the Concords routine and I think perhaps that was quite important for the band as well where they they would develop ideas for the TV show much like they would in an improv school. Were they? I don't know if they were groundlings or improv Olympics, but they were definitely around that circle of people that hung around Ben Stiller, uh, the Mr. Show team. Do you think, Reese, that from the TV show and the improvisations there, because they would do like little stings of what would eventually be their self-titled album, do you think that was for the betterment, perhaps, of their musicianship? Or do you think that it's quite an interesting take for me to have where I'm talking about how using improvised humor helps sculpt the overall idea behind this self-titled album? I think what shines on this album is their friendship, their ability to play with each other uh, just in a comedic sense, and support each other. And I feel like they're in a very safe place when they're just working with each other. I feel like yeah. you can tell on some skits, they really take their time. And there's, there's a few pregnant pauses. They're not rushing it out. And I think that comes from a sense of security in the friendship. And I think the friendship comes first and foremost. And it's something like, we, we don't doubt that Jack and Kyle are friends. So whatever they're doing, yeah. we're into. And that just allows more creativity, more risks. And then they stumble onto some scatting on tribute or some funny skits where they're, you know, doing the friendship test, which was, I think, written by Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, Mr. Show. It, it was, um, friendship test was Bob Odenkirk. I think he found them. I think, I think Bob Odenkirk went to a show and saw them or I feel like Bob Odenkirk has something to do with their career. And, and the fact that they've remained friends with these people, like just last month or even this month, Jack was hosting Bob Odenkirk's uh, book launch. Yeah. They're still friends with the Foo Fighters people. Liam Lynch co-wrote The Pick of Destiny. Uh, he also directed Times Like These. And obviously, rest in peace, Taylor, as well. But yeah, Dave Grohl playing Absolutely. drums, playing Satan in the movie, did an amazing job. He also played guitar on the album. Jack was in an episode of Drunk History with Dave Grohl and Bob Odenkirk. Like They're still friends. And looking back at the movies I talked about at the start that haven't held up, their friendship does hold up and I think that creates a space where they can be fun. And to be really honest, man, and it's only something I just remembered, without Jack Black, I definitely wouldn't know you. That is true. So Really? Yeah, man, get ready for this. This is true. And this is literally a pick of destiny story. All right, here we go. I'm sitting back. I'm ready for this. Let me find my popcorn. Let's do it. This is a story of how Jack Black influenced me to make a decision, which like many years later saw me get on my bloody Valentine's guest list for all tomorrow's parties. Ooh. So when I was 17, I was dating this girl and she gave me like an acoustic guitar, just a beat up one. And I couldn't play it very well because I had a soft pick. And I was like, this sucks. You know, I'm not good at it. I tried to play Nirvana's about a girl, couldn't figure it out. And then just when I was about to turn 18, I was like, I'm going to go to a show like in the big smoke. I'm going to go to Melbourne. And I didn't know what to do or, you know, so I saw a bunch of different shows that were like available to go to. And I just happened to that day read an interview with Jack Black, who was wearing a My Morning Jacket t-shirt. Now, if you haven't heard My Morning Jacket, this is what they sound like. So, 
like that Band of Horses style, like big operatic yeah. indie rock, right? Yeah, and I, I was I listened to some of it and I was like, yes, I'm going to go see my morning jacket at the Corner Hotel in Melbourne. That's going to be my first overage show. So I got the train with a friend and we went just because Jack Black was wearing a T-shirt. And I'm like, yeah, if, if Jack Black likes it, then I guess I will. I was obsessed with High Fidelity. Jack Black knows music. He works in a record store. He does. So I went to Melbourne and there weren't many people at the show. Like it was pretty fucking empty. And it was like full of all these Melbourne people. And I was like, oh my God, I look so little and scrawny. And there are people in like leather jackets. But there was one dude who was at the front of the stage. And I was at the front as well because there weren't many people there. But he had one ear on the stage, but like he's just staring at me. Like he, he had his shoulder to, like to the stage and just faced me the whole set. And it was freaking me out. It's like this dude okay. is scaring the shit out of me. At the end of the My Morning Jacket set, Jim James throws a guitar pick. And I catch it. And I was like, yeah. fuck yeah, thanks, man. It was the hardest guitar pick ever. And I was like, yes. I took that home and learned to play guitar with that pick. I could only play guitar with a really, really hard pick. And so I was able to teach myself guitar because of that pick, right? The pick of destiny. From that, I just started writing shitty songs, which is when I started that band that went over to New Zealand where I met you. She had, right? <laughs> yeah, no, we were Pacifier at that time. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I forgot. She had wasn't cutting yeah, it with the American crowd. Yeah, don't worry about it, man. You got it. Then I go to China and I uh, write a bunch of songs on guitar for this my guitarist. And I say, these are the songs. That band does okay. We get some traction within Melbourne. And a guy called Julian Wu gets in okay. touch. And he's like, yo, I really like you guys. And, and I'm like, I fucking know you. You were at the My Morning Jacket show when I turned 18. And he's like, yeah, I was there. And I was like, dude, you stared at me the whole fucking night. It freaked me out. Like, it, we, we just got chatting. He's like, oh, yeah, I hear better out of one ear. So I was, like, listening to what the guitarist was doing. This guy plays guitar in Spiral Stairs' band from Pavement. Oh, wow. He plays with the Triffids. Yeah, so he knows his guitar stuff. He was trying to listen to the guitars, but he has, it like, one ear he's better. So he wasn't staring at me at all. You somehow were in the vantage point where he could actually hear better. Yeah. And, oh man. It, well, so he must've been really intrinsically listening to that guitar. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen him do it at other shows. One of his very good friends is Ricky from Brian Jonestown Massacre. So Ricky and I became friends yeah. and Ricky helped us out with some things. And he's like, Hey, I've been playing your band to Kevin from my bloody Valentine. And I'm like, Oh, that's crazy. I'm going to be in Australia when they're playing at all tomorrow's parties he's like oh i'll let kevin know he'll put you on the guest list so i got to go on the guest list all because of this fucking my morning jacket gig where i got a guitar pick but it was all because jack black was wearing the t-shirt i mean that's insane and i'm surprised that maybe we need to go to an advert break shortly as well because your foot must be really sore with all that name dropping there was heaps of name dropping as well <laughs> there was a ton of name dropping man I was half expecting you to fall through the floor with the amount of name dropping that you were doing there, man. Like, oh, did I tell you about the time that I bought Kurt Cobain the gun? Did I tell you about that time? <laughs> I that did tour with Grant be... Hart from Husker Do. Oh, he I've, did tell I've... me some crazy Kurt Cobain stories. Yeah, but like I've I've heard stories about Hart. Yeah, but I'm happy to go to an advert, man. That was a lot of name dropping, but it, it was cool like to see how I'm just exhausted one... by the oh, amount no, of name dropping. Don't do me like that. <laughs> I'll do you like that? I'll do you hard. Um, <laughs> Fuck me gently, please. I liked that music video as well because it was, I believe it was done by, uh, I, I'm going to probably really butcher the name now as well, but was it done by John Crickfalusi? I don't know who that is. 
He's the guy that created the Ren and Stimpy show, dude. Ah, oh, have you seen the Ren and Stimpy documentary? That's something I really need to watch as yes, well. Yes, yes, 100%. So you you need to watch the Tenacious D episode, although I would trigger warning that one of the episodes talks about knife love. And given that there was a stabbing in, ten, in 2012 at a Tenacious D show, I, I if you find it online, I don't know if that episode's going to be online anymore, but... What happened at that 2012 Las Vegas, uh, Las Vegas show? I'm not entirely sure, but I remember Kyle was saying that he knew something was fucked when their tour manager, who was also the Foo Fighters tour manager, who was just on sabbatical, and he's like, yeah, I'll come tour manage you guys. What you know? What does it matter? He came side of stage and just gave them a certain look, and he was like, fuck, fuck, what's going on? And it turns out, yeah, he said it was a really rowdy crowd, but there was some sort of stabbing. And I remember playing... Um, this is another story. I won't drop names because they're not impressive. But Oh, no, no, Reese, Don't let me and the listening community put you off from name dropping. So I was six to nine-ing Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> That's definitely getting edited, man. How dare you bring Macaulay Culkin's name in it? So I was watching Jada Pinkett Smith at download and then fucking Will Smith came on and goatseed. <laughs> oh, shit. Who's that coming up the stairs? <laughs> So we were playing this venue called Old Wat Bar in Beijing and it was right near the Forbidden City. It was fucking a, one of my favorite venues to play. It was just this tiny place. But when the crowds went there, it was just wild and people really just got into the music. And we played a set there and the crowd was fucking one of the best crowds I've ever played to. And a fight broke out towards the end and I thought it was all done. Then it sort of spilled out onto the street and I thought it was all done as well anyway. So... So I, t- I pick up my cymbals and my snare and I'm carrying them out the front. And I, as I walk through the door frame, one of the guys who was in the fight lunges from one side of the door, doesn't see me, with a broken bottle trying to stab the other guy who's on the other side of the door frame. So I walk between them and have to drop my shit and like lunge backwards to not get stabbed through the guts. The guy who was about to get stabbed runs into the tour van, locks the door, and then it was just the guy, like, smashing bottles on the tour van trying to get in. For some reason, the guy did eventually open the door to let him in, and then he got stabbed. I don't know why he eventually opened the door. This guy's power persuasion was next level. But I came <laughs> so close to getting a fucking Tsingdao bottle straight through my guts. That is absolutely terrifying, Reese. What was the reason for the argument that led to a bottle fight? I think one of them like Deadsy and one of them like Cold. And I said, yeah, fucking oh, fair. Have yeah, at it, boys. That's, that's fucking understandable, man. That's understandable. But for moments like that, you really just need two monkeys getting involved in a knife fight. <laughs> or two crabs. Have you ever seen a crab holding a knife? No. Check it out during the advert break. <laughs> so who have you end up splurging 35000 Australian dollars on this time? You're going to love this. I promise you. Like the other ones, I know you've just been like, that's a little bit of a waste of cash. Yeah, I, I promise you're going to love this sponsor. Right. It's sort of like counterculture. It's a bit underground. I think you'll really enjoy it. Yes, I don't know if you can hear me back in the studio, but the vibe here is electric at the ultimate DJ championship with thousands of people attending to see who will be crowned the ultimate DJ. You've got DJ Starscream, a.k.a. Sid Wilson from Slipknot, a.k.a. number zero. And you've also got an up-and-comer in the scene, DJ Big Rigs. Incredible stuff here. Let's get into it. Sid is about to take the stage. DJ Starscream, take it away. (laughs) 
Oh my god, DJ Starscream has come out swinging everybody. The crowd has gone wild. Now let's see what DJ Big Riggs can do. What? He's he's packing up his turntables. He he's pulled out he's pulled out a snare and he's flipping it upside down. This is crazy. Whoa, 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 we have just witnessed something truly inspirational and special here. No one in the history of scratching has ever flipped their snare upside down and dragged their stick along the bottom of the snare to replicate DJ scratching. That is absolutely wild. DJ Starscream is starstruck. He doesn't know what's going on. Let's see if he can counteract. What's he got for us? Energy here is electric as it all comes down to this, the very, very, very last round. DJ Starscream looking rattled. He's going to go first. What have you got for us, DJ Starscream? We need a 10 out of 10 here. Let's go. In any other year, that would have won you first place, but not in a year when there's DJ Big Rigs and his upside down snare. Wait, what's this? He's sculling, he's sculling some sort of fluoro drink pre-workout. Pre DJ Big Rigs has cracked open the pre-workout. He's currently letting his oh eyeballs no. fizzle. He's rubbing <coughs> his face. He's building up to something truly special here, everybody. We are about to witness DJ history. Truly inspirational moment here for the scratching community. A man has single-handedly re-energized the entire scratching industry. The judges have taken off their clothes, they've put on stings, fields of gold, and they are now having tantric sex inspired by Big Riggs and his upside-down snare. Back to you in the studio. Massive shout-out to our sponsors, the Ultimate DJ Battle. That was truly epic. I was going to say, like, when's the next epic DJ battle? No, that's it. I think the whole industry imploded after that. So you basically gave money for something that had already happened. Yeah. You basically bought the broadcasting rights to the greatest DJ battle. You know how there's Business 101? I'm Business 100, so I'm sort of a step behind. I haven't I'd read... I'd say restate your Business 01. But isn't it weird that I enjoyed DJ Big Rigs more than DJ Starscream? Because no, that you're a first taste. clip that you play... Yeah, well, you know, I've, I've been known to have taste from time to time, you know. 
Well, you can drop in another taproot fucking sting if you want, but... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm not the only one. And please write in, you know, uh, visit the website. You know, jump on social media, just get into contact with us. But I'm not the only one that thought that the sound of Sid scratching was equivalent to when you go to a dentist and they used a suction thing to clear out the drool in your mouth, right? I can't be the only one that heard that. I'm not a, much of a connoisseur, even though I've demolished that industry and <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. won all of Killed the it. accolades within it with that upside down snare, but yeah. I don't know. You, now, they've done festivals, and they've amassed crowds at festivals. They've yeah, yeah. played, They've played things like Rock Am Ring, which is a big kind of metal festival. Uh, they've played literally moments before Slipknot. Yeah, yeah, it's so one of good. the biggest metal bands in the world. Do you think that they slotted in nicely because of the music, or because of the humor, or because it was Jack Black? Or do you think maybe it's a little combination of the celebrity of Jack Black, who just so happens to be quite an interesting musician to watch and listen to as well. The whole band's got their place. Oh, Ben, that's, that's, I mean, so yeah, that's unfair to Kyle. Cause you know, Kyle was the one that taught Jack. If, if you wanted to frame it, Kyle's the musician and Jack is perhaps the hype man. I just think on that rock ring 2019, they played just before Slipknot. They played to a bunch of people like, you know, dudes in arch enemy shirts and people are loving it and singing along for the most part. I think it's a bit of a palate cleanser. It's like, hey, you probably had metal all fucking day. Here's just something a bit different. Like, the fact that Tenacious D, two dudes just rocking out on acoustic guitars is fucking funny in itself. The fact that that can, like, rock a massive festival is great. But it's something fresher for the ears. So maybe Slipknot, when they come on, sound a bit heavier. I think people from that crowd in 2019 probably love this album when it first came out, like... When I spoke to people and said, hey, we're doing Tenacious D, they're like, oh my God, that album's fucking huge. Yes, I can't wait. Like, there seems to be a real soft spot for it. The same way that, you know, Blink-182 holds a soft spot for all the fucking idiots you've ever known. <laughs> yeah, but then I don't understand how you don't like the kind of frat boy humor that Blink-182 has, but yet Tenacious D will release a piece of merchandise. That's basically a cum rag. There's no other way to kind of like politely kind no, of it's a call it, you know it's a cum rag it's a it's a my little pony cum rag isn't yeah. it and i think on the it says you know the tenacious d cum rag because every other rag is just a cum rag or something like that like yeah i look i, th I think there's a there's a bit of story behind tenacious d there's not much of a story behind any of the blink 182 songs and the ones that there are are the songs that i can listen to you know adam's song probably being like the obvious one you know tenacious d have more they're more than just like silly college humor. And sometimes that silly jock college humor is funny when the people who are doing it know they're sort of above it, but go, but stoop down to it. Workaholics would be that, those kind of guys like Beavis and Butthead probably would be a better example of just like, they know what they're sort of doing and what they're making fun of and where it sits. Whereas if that's all you've got in your arsenal, Bloodhound Gang yeah. style, Blink-182 style, it it's just it wears thin very very quickly for me in any way. No, I understand that. I understand that. I just wondered if there was like perhaps a reasoning why one form of kind of like gross out Farrelly style humor was more resonant with you than the kind of 
frat boy elements that Blink-182 had, but I th- I'm guessing that maybe part of that stems from, like you mentioned, the uh, the personalities of those that listen to Blink-182 weren't really, for the most part, as perhaps comfortable in a setting compared to those that are into Tenacious D. Yeah, do you just think that it's perhaps the identities between the two bands then that you don't like Blink-182 because they are championing a kind of humour and a sect of people that you you don't really have much in common with compared to Tenacious D that, is, is, let's be honest, very well embraced by the metal community despite not being a traditional metal band? I think my taste uh, has been proven right with the benefit of hindsight now. Let's just look, not Mark Hoppus, I really like him. But yeah. Tom went down that fucking weird-ass rabbit hole of aliens and, you know, hanging out at Roswell and Area 51 and shit like that. Travis Barker is still a dude who thinks it's okay to wear, like, massive shorts and, like, a, a trucker hat to the side. You know, it's like, dude, you are 49 now. Like, what what are you doing? Like, it doesn't – it didn't look good then. It doesn't look good now. I don't know. You know, you're getting your tongue sucked by the basketball court. I feel like they're just too inherently – lame dudes and they attracted pretty lame fucking people yeah that, w- without much of a sense of humor who thought they had a sense of humor because they liked fart sounds this this album is hard to talk about because it's like the first album that's openly trying to be funny you know that cold chambers chamber music that cover is fucking funny but it wasn't meant to be funny no it wasn't meant to be funny yet tenacious d lean into all of the kind of ridiculous like you know led zeppelin Van Halen, rock and roll excess tropes that yeah. even though some of the things that they sing about, uh, you know, again, like fucker gently, you know, it comes across as quite maybe misogynistic. If you. Well, I thought the opposite. If, it was actually probably a great message. I know, but if you contextualize it, it, you know, on face value, it's like fucker gently. Oh, this is a guy talking about how he wants to fuck a girl. Like, you know, I'm not going to listen to that. I probably know what the song is like already. But then you listen to it. It's a very sweet kind of song, albeit graphic, about what he would like to do because he he's actually into this woman. It's also great advice. You probably might have needed that instead of fucking Angel's song. No, I think that was quite gently. And I think I think statistically, most men fuck bad. Most men are not good roots. And I lay I I probably group myself into that category. They're just jackhammering, they're rabbiting away, and it's really sage advice for a person here in 2001, formative age. You don't always have to fuck like that. That's Jesus not, Christ. especially in the I age of pornography, re- that's, a, that's a good tip. Take your time, I'd, guys. Slow it down. Can you pull your camera back a little bit? What's the color of the table? Red by chance? I'm <laughs> not at my red table, man. To continue this name dropping thing, what would you say if I told you? that I had a friend who spent New Year's Eve with Tenacious D? Uh, I would say, how are you going to get up and walk away from this recording if you've uh, if you've hurt both your feet? But for the interests of uh, carrying on this podcast, I would say, oh, that sounds interesting, Reese. I don't suppose by chance that we could listen to what this person had to say, could we? Ask and you shall receive. It was meant to be a New Year's Eve unlike any other for Bendigo band Sender. No, 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 sorry, sorry. That's Leech Seed. 
This is Sender. Sender had been booked to play a New Year's Eve show on December 31st, 2003 with Thirsty Merc, Killing Heidi and Tenacious D. Yeah, we're all super excited and thought we might be spending New Year's Eve with Tenacious D. That's Sender guitarist James there and the band were rightly excited to be able to play the Lunacy Rock and Ride New Year's Eve 2004 Melbourne show spending New Year's Eve with Tenacious D. Killing Heidi, and one other band, Thirsty Merc. Sorry, sorry, that's Leech Seed. I always get them confused with Thirsty Merc. This is actually Thirsty Merc. You may also be familiar with Thirsty Merc in the summertime after that song was commissioned to be the Bondi Rescue theme song. But Sender had already had a previous altercation with Thirsty Merc. So yeah, we were playing this gig in Adelaide and got backstage and there was like fruit platters and alcohol everywhere, which was kind of a first. Big dressing room, but we were sharing it with Thirsty Merc and they had a big rack of clothes, all this sort of op shop kind of clothes and things like that. And they came in sort of wearing all these root curl t-shirts and surfy stuff and came into the room for a bit and didn't really say anything and then left. A couple of minutes later, their manager came in and asked if we might be able to leave the, leave the room for a little bit while they got changed into their stage attire. So we declined the offer to leave. We sort of sat there on this couch, like did this big power flex kind of thing, even though our band did nothing compared to Thirsty Merc or Killing Idea or any of even those bands. Um, but we sat on this couch, um, the drummer and I, and ate grapes while they came back in and plunked into the room and didn't make eye contact and got changed slowly. We just watched them. So what was to happen on this New Year's Eve night? Would it come to blows? Would it come to karate chops in the neck? Or would Tenacious D be able to create an environment of love and rock? And would Sender and Thirsty Merc be able to bond over the song Tribute? So we rocked up there, they played, uh, another member of our band, who I won't name, um, got a little bit drunk at the end of the night and found himself in someone else's tour van. Uh, it turned out to be Thirsty Mercs and they were off to an after party after the, lunch, the park show. Um, they were halfway to wherever they were going and they realised who was in the van with them was from our band and they weren't too impressed and they pulled over on the side of the road there and kicked him out. So, that, so I mean, that battle, they completely won that. Yeah, I mean, that was the final That was the final thing. There's never been a comeback after that. So Thirsty Merc had won the battle, and one of the Sender members, an unnamed member, spent the first part of 2004 drunk and standing alone on a road, not knowing where they were, ringing around trying to ask for a lift back to another after party doesn't sound like a great night but maybe it would all be salvaged by hanging out with tenacious d well they really rocked up last minute we did sound check and things during uh during the day um 
they just rocked up just before they played. So I had all my friends there and we were sort of waiting to see the show. And because I could go backstage, I thought I'd make the most of that. So as they came off stage, I was sort of waiting at the side of stage, hoping I might be able to get a photo or something with Jack. And I kind of had to make a decision between do I uh, try and ask him if he'll take a selfie with me or do I just like call out to him and try and take a photo of him and I thought the second option was more reliable. <laughs> like Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> so he kind of turned when I called out and, and smiled and waved for the camera kind of thing and then as soon as I went to take it, he turned his head and put his hand in front of his face and, um, and they were gone. But it was still better than nothing. So I guess the moral of the story is sometimes you have to break a few thirsty Merck-shaped eggs if you want to make a Tenacious D-shaped omelette and if you want a blurry photo of Jack Black shielding his uh, face with his hand. Yep, uh, it's a good moral and uh, definitely one worth remembering. Back to you in the studio. Thank you, Reese. And now to pass you back over to Reese. Hello, Reese. Let's sort of uh, round this out with the game, okay? Now, there's been a rumor that Kyle Gass was the youngest ever guitarist to graduate from Juilliard. I'm almost 98% certain yeah. that that was a joke and people have just run with it in press releases and interviews and stuff. And he's played along in parts, but then sometimes he's like, no, nah, it's not true guys. Like I never did it. I think he got into a, a, a classical guitarist course at another school, but never actually did it. But there are some musicians who have studied at universities. So I'm going to give you a quiz on that. Is that cool with you? That is cool with me. So we're looking at musicians that did attend universities or colleges, I believe they're called in the United yeah, States. Just some sort of formal education for the most part. Actually not entirely limited to musicians, but you'll see. Benji, who briefly studied Italian opera at the Music Academy of the West? Was it Patti Smith, Katy Perry or Mike Patton? Mike Patton. I'm sorry. Incorrect, man. Oh, really? I, it surprises me because Mike Patton did an entire album, Mondo Kane, which was in Italian. Yeah, didn't and it? that's why I put him in there. It was Katy Perry. Oh, good honor. That's pretty fucking cool, man. That's doing your work. Who won a scholarship to study flute at the Royal Academy of Music? Was it Annie Lennox, Keith Flint from The Prodigy, or Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers? Ah, oh, man. Was it Annie Lennox? Yeah, yeah. Well yeah. done. Cool, cool. Because I know Flea, you played a wood... Uh, no, he didn't play a woodwind instrument because the trombone's considered a brass instrument, isn't it? You've come to the right place and it's definitely DJ Big Riggs. He knows all about your <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> musical uh, classifications. I know, it's all about your big brass. Who was kicked out of Juilliard? Was it Alison Hannigan who played Willow in Buffy? James Masters who played Spike in Buffy? Charisma Carpenter, who played Cordelia Chase in Buffy. Oh, I'm going to say it's James Masters. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Two points. 66%. Correct. He's Spike. He's a badass. 100%, yeah, he's a badass. Bad to the bone. B -b 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 Bad. Apart from um, him in Dragon Ball Evolution. But that movie should never have existed. <laughs> no arguments here. Who originally intended to be a concert pianist? Condoleezza Rice, the former U.S. Secretary of State, Arnold Schwarzenegger, or Kurtley Ambrose? <laughs> you fucking... 
Curtly Ambrose. I'm sorry. No, that was for me. Oh, I just wanted to hear Curtly Ambrose. That was for bloody Tombo, mate. <laughs> that was for Tom and, and Paul Sack because I did get some messages. It's like, I think I called him Courtney Ambrose and I was getting Courtney Walsh and Curtly Ambrose mixed up. And yeah, I, yeah, Curtly Ambrose, Courtney Walsh. I got some, I got some messages. It was Condoleezza Rice. And there is footage of her jamming out with Yo-Yo Ma online. That, uh, well, that's another thing I'm going to have to check out as well. As an aside, did you catch any of the Shane Warne Memorial? No, I had a friend who was there. I saw some photos, but no, no, I didn't. I, I was so stupid because I really thought, like, I was like, Alton John, Robbie Williams, and Chris Martin, I thought they were flying here. And there was just, like, just pre-recorded videos for the most part, or maybe appearing live, but it makes way more sense. It was It's much more somber and formal affair than I thought, and I liked that they had the... The pitch in the middle, but yeah, I mean, what a what a legend! Absolute legend. Even though he is an Australian cricketer, and by rights should not be likable, but off that pitch, man, he was lovely. Who has a master of arts in Roman and Renaissance art? Is it Kurt Russell, James Woods, or Peter Weller, who played RoboCop? Peter Weller. Yeah, yeah. What made you say that? Because I'm a big Robocop fan. And because he also talks so much in the past about the works of Fellini and uh, Renaissance art that, you know, he's a bit of a Renaissance man, Peter Weller. Last one. Who studied classical guitar at Eastern Michigan University? Dwayne Dennison from The Jesus Lizard and Tomahawk, Fred Sonic Smith from MC5, or Jeff Buckley? What was the name of the college again? Eastern Michigan University. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it was uh, answer number two, the chat from MC5. I'm sorry. I knew you'd go because you thought the Michigan link, didn't you? Yeah, I thought the Detroit thing. It's going to be Jeff Buckley, isn't it? I'm sorry. No. Whoa. Dwayne Dennison from the Jesus Lizard and Tomahawk, who does give guitar lessons sometimes over Zoom if you pay him. My friend got one many years ago uh, before Zoom was even cool. Oh, it was probably via Skype then, but yeah, he will do FaceTime lessons sometimes. So I don't know if that, if any listeners can um, benefit from that, but maybe. You actually did pretty well there, man. Um, I did stop keeping count after number three, though. Nah, it wasn't one of my best ones. It was a difficult one, though, having to know the educations of all of these people. I never really uh, cared. But in a, in summary, Tenacious D, self-titled album, we like it. We enjoy it. It's fun. It's fun, and I think their friendship and their ability to sort of support each other and play off each other is something to be really commended. I think that was yeah, fucking cool. I really like it. Fuck off Kilbasa though from that record though. It doesn't doesn't add anything. It's a shit it's a shit song. It's I think it's it's just kind of like almost like a bit of a false start, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Before you get fucked gently. Before we go, Benj, what's your favorite Jack Black movie? Uh it was pretty cool and I still know what you did last summer playing Titus oh! uh, Tedesco. And it was alright also in um I also liked him in uh, Saving Silverman, even though it was quite a misogynistic, oh, women are evil and are shrewd. But that was the reason why he did that, was because he was a Neil Diamond, you know, he was a Neil Diamond impersonator, or he was in a covers band, a Neil Diamond covers band, in that movie that Neil Diamond happened to be involved with 
which led to then Neil Diamond letting them record the first album in Neil Diamond's recording studio. Is that correct? Fucked if I know, man. All I know is, and I still know what you did last summer, his character is fucking funny. The way he dies, spoiler alert, is funny. But I fucking, I've talked about this briefly on the podcast before, and I would love to do like a 10-part series on it. The fact that the killer, and spoiler alert, tune out now, if you don't want, I still know what you did last summer, was Will Benson, and then he's like, you know, Ben's son. Bum, bum, bum. Tell me why. Why, come on, Jules, think about it. You'll get it. Will Benson. Ben's son. Hi, Dad. <laughs> what a fucking risk. Imagine, imagine if as soon as you introduce yourself on the first day, you've got all this plan. You've, you, you've got your radio segment ready. You've got your airfares. You've booked out a hotel. You know how you're going to torture them. You know how to hack into a karaoke machine some fucking how. And you go, hey, I'm Will Benson. They're like, oh, Ben, Ben Will's son. Ben, Ben's son. Fuck, you're the guy. You're the son. It's like, what a risk to play with minimal payoff. It is fucking one of my favorite parts in a movie. It's that, and I don't know how Billy Madison knew that O'Doyle's car was going to drive off a cliff or that his whole family was going to go down and that a banana peel would send them off a road that was clearly, like, they just went off a cliff. How did Billy Madison know that the whole family was going down? In what part of the movie did he have some sort of, like, fortune-telling abilities? Like, when did that come in? They're my two biggest movie gripes. Well, because, like, at the end of the day, Adam Sandler had the opal. He had the uncut gem. He logged into it, and it was <laughs> uncut gems. that was about to take place. But that's for another time. What we got coming up on the next episode, Reese? We are talking Il Nino, or Il Nino. I'm actually, I'm pretty sure I'm bastardizing it, aren't I? I'm, it's Il, Il Nino. I'm just going to say El Nino. Yeah, say El Nino. Yeah, I'll just say it. Revolution, Revolution, is that correct? Yeah, I can't wait to hear your take on it because they've got that link to Soulfly and I feel like you fuck with anything Soulfly. Looking forward to it. Uh, And as always, ask your listening device to... Watch High Fidelity. It's better than Empire Records. There was a brief period in my life where... Every time I met someone from Catholic College Bendigo, they'd be like, oh my gosh, you're just like Mark from Empire Records. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's a bad thing or a good thing. I watched a little bit of that movie. I didn't like it. I'm a high fidelity boy. You're either two kinds of people in this world. You're either high fidelity or Empire Records. Which one are you, Benji? I'm both. I like Empire Records for the melodrama much in the same way I like them. Can't hardly wait. But then high fidelity is like an older person's kind of John Hughes movie, is it not? A more refined palette, I would say, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just on a very quick side note, uh, this is also being recorded a week after we lost uh, one of the greatest drummers in the world, um, Taylor Hawkins. So, yeah, just take a moment to appreciate your family and your friends because sometimes it just goes quickly like that and uh, yeah rest in power taylor hawkins gone way way too soon